0: Yes, it is a reawakening. La Peste Negra, Negro Casas. I have found this beautiful redeprehension, a new appreciation of La Peste Negra. Casas, Felino and Mister Niebla. Kurt, you handle the intros. Okay, Fredo. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Vandal Drummond, or the many ways it has been misspelled throughout the years, along with Alfredo Asparza for a new edition of Slam Stam. Hey, I got it right in the first one, Fredo. I know. There you go. And this time we didn't even complain about the music starting. Yeah! Whoa!
1: I'm it's almost creepy how it came off without a hitch. I think we're catching up to all this technology now.
0: <laughs> Be- between, I feel uh, so
1: Neanderthal. Uh, between Blog Talk Radio and uh, Twitter, I'm on a roll this week.
0: You're actually ahead of me. I'm still uh, I'm still mastering Facebook, and you are now on Twitter. So you can now tweet Alfredo on Twitter. Yeah, you could tweet me at the real Fredo. That's my tweet.
1: That's my account name, the real Fredo. So check this man a- out, ladies and gentlemen. Just in case there's a fake one, I've already made sure that I'm the legit one.
0: The real Alfredo Esparza. So don't don't look for for Alfredo Esparza 001 or something like that. Go to the source, and you can find me on Facebook. Just look for Vandal Drummond. I'll pop up somewhere around there. Or you can email me at Liger. that's L-Y-G-E-R at A-O-L dot com. Any comments, critics?
1: criticism, anything about this um, podcast, just send them to Kurt.
0: Yes. Send everything to me. He will read them and cry. I will read them and cry, but no, actually I'll cry tears of joy because uh, most of my emails these days are nothing but spam. Oh, there you go. I think the most humiliating one was uh, a month or so back. I see, hey, Kurt, there are other senior singles in your area who want to get to know you. (laughs) Did you reply? (laughs) No, I just sat there and felt about uh, 70 or 80 years old. Well, at least you're not getting
1: the, 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 the penis enlargement ones. Are you still getting those?
0: Haven't gotten those. I guess I convinced them that I'm satisfied with what I got.
1: So, let's start about... Did you hear about the news about the two minis? The mini luchadors?
0: Yes, I did. Fill people in on the story. What happened here?
1: Well, they found. Um, I guess it was on Monday, Monday morning, like at six six a.m. La Parquita, who's I guess the original, and Espectrito number two. Yes. We're, were coming. We're going to the a hotel near Arena Coliseo, where they where they were bringing along a couple of women that I guess we could, I guess we could say they they were prostitutes,
0: ladies and, of the night. Yep.
1: And at the very, I guess like at 6 p.m., the women the women left. And I guess right after that, the the guy, I guess the manager, decided that it was time to clean up the room. And you know the rest of the story. They found Pira um, Espectrito, number two, and La Partita Dead in the hotel room.
0: And what they're presuming is that the prostitutes drugged them and robbed them.
1: Which is, I guess, a common thing now in Mexico.
0: Wow. Now... It it sounds it sounds disturbingly like the plot of an old Santo movie, a bit darker version, but it just sounds like Law and Order, you know, like one of those, <laughs> the, you know, one of those CSI episodes where they're doing like a Halloween special. Yeah, and I don't he- mean to laugh at this, but it's just when you think you just when you think you've heard every disturbing crazy obscene story in the world of professional wrestling, that story gets outdone. I know, seriously, and, and I mean, it could get worse. You know, what if these aren't
1: women? <laughs> you know, <laughs> it could get worse. You never. Yeah, know. It could be, yeah. Well, no. Nah, well, I mean. Well, I mean, think about it. I mean, basically, could you imagine the stories that you could get just from Espectrito 2 and uh, La Parquita, considering they they were brothers, and they were basically they had one hotel room. I mean, what's sharing kind of, prostitutes? I know, seriously, it's like they must have had or, multiple orgies at. <laughs>
0: So yeah, sure. and well, like, well, we were talking about all those various urban myths or urban myths that were not myths last week on Slam and Stan, and uh, oddly enough, I bet you this isn't the strangest of them. I think there's been a number of wrestling brothers who have shared, uh, who have had sexual escapades in front of each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, it
0: just, it just gets, it could
1: get worse, but at the same time, it's just, it's just the craziest <clears throat> thing. I mean. Drugging two little midgets, I mean. La Parquita was little, too, so it's like... How much,
0: wow, how wow. Much,
1: I mean, I don't know how much, how much drugs they must have poured in his drink or whatever, but...
0: That's, that was my first question, was, were they drugged with the intention of well, I think them they were passing get... out, or were they drugging them to intentionally kill them? Was it just they... an accidental overdose they yeah. gave them? I,
1: I, I, we haven't gotten to that point, but I, I'm pretty sure they were drugging them just to rob them. To steal whatever they could, wow they, they, they said they, that the guy that they were interviewing said that he saw them carrying a bag with them, so I'm guessing they might have car- they might have stolen enough, some whatever they had with them
0: yeah, that sounds like a likely um uh, the yeah, likely so scenario
1: the weird thing was like the whole debate of who which many of these guys were you know like is this la partita the original was this the independent one? was this the AAA one? With, with and
0: you it. know how I how I pay attention to those details very closely.
1: Yeah. So it's like yeah.
0: <laughs> everybody's still trying to figure that out. I'm guessing at, at
1: some point, at some point we'll know the exact one. Cause, I mean, right. So too I mean, there's still people trying to figure out. Because wh- you worked, he, I think he worked another gimmick. So everybody's trying to figure out which, which one it is exactly.
0: This right. is a, it's an astounding story, and you we know, don't. Oh. The- only, I mean, coming off all the deaths that happened the last couple of days, this one has to be right up. Yeah, there's been a lot of celebrity deaths lately, uh, from from the mainstream celebrity world to the wrestling celebrity world. Um, I mean, the pitchman Billy Mays. I know, seriously, that one was like consider. I mean, he's all over during wrestling shows too. So. Yeah, he's one you don't expect. Yeah. Now I. Uh, Steve Sims, I want to thank Steve, Dr. Lucha Sims once again for emailing me the latest YouTube editions of La Peste Negra. What what, what did you watch? I watched the June 26th uh, match with Casas Niebla and Celino against Mystico, Sombra, and Volodar Jr. Uh And what thrilled me the most is a few weeks ago when I was on Brian Alvarez's show, I talked about the bump that uh, made me just fall head over heels over the work of Negro Casas. Mm-hmm. The very first time I ever saw him wrestle in 1985. This is the bump where he uh, does something wicked to his opponent in the middle of the ring, and then he starts to climb up the turnbuckle from the inside of the ring. And then his opponent drop kicks him on the butt and he goes over the ropes and lands butt first on the floor. Uh-huh. And it's a, it was a wicked-looking bump, but when you'd watch him, you could see him taking care of himself by, you know, lightly breaking the fall with his hand to the apron as he's going down. But it's so, it was, I wouldn't say subliminal the correct word, because he could see it, but it was so subtle that it looked like he just crashed on his ass and I was so jabbed that in the third fall, he took that bump. I have not seen him take that bump in a while.
1: Wow.
0: He's, uh, looks like he's altered a, a bit. He's gotten had, wiser as he lands. He's,
1: he's a little older now, so. Yeah,
0: he's a little older. Uh, he lands foot first, but still takes the complete fall. It's not like he just lands flat on his feet, but I notice he breaks it with his feet now instead of his butt. And it was my favorite bump to take when I was wrestling. And but, yes, I was a major mark for Negro Casas back then. I haven't watched as much Lucha as I would like in the last couple of years, but I am a born-again Negro Casas fan. I love watching this guy work every week. And, uh, again, thank you for to Steve Sims for pointing me toward this match. I know i got to widen my horizons now and watch a little bit more of what's going on with the other luchadores in CMLL. Triple but... A. And Triple A, are we going that far?
1: Will, will you be watching
0: Triple A? Well, let's take it piecemeal.
1: Wait. Speaking of Triple A, I gotta ask you: Have you have you watched any of it like recently?
0: No, not for several months now.
1: Okay. Now I'm gonna tell you something you have to watch. Okay. Okay. The first the first 30 minutes or so, or the first hour, they have this this um they'll have Cato Volador and Pimpinella tagging, but the whole I... angle like they've been running this angle for a couple of weeks. For, really? Um, Pimpinella. They're, they're they're you know they do those mixed tags, right? They do Yes I games. do. Well, what Triple A is, is famous for. Yeah, well Pimpinella is doing um his his gimmick is that he loves Gato Volador.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: So you know what I mean, you just can't I don't know how bad that I mean, that could be like the funniest thing possible, but it could also be like the I just don't I just don't know what it'll be like around in um, AAA's Triple A's hands.
0: <laughs> you just gave me a reason to start
1: dvr DVRing AAA every week. Yeah, but then wait. This angle gets even. Campanella admit that he's, he's basically saying that he loves him. And Gato Bolador has already has already said. Um, I think it's no, it's Gato Everready. What's his name? I think it's. Gato I'm sorry. Everredi. What was his name? Gato. Well, it's Gato, Gato Everready. Yeah, Gato Everready. There's like so many Gatos now. Um, well, he basically um, they did a they did an, uh, a vignette. Last week, where F- Fabio Apache was talking to um, Gato, and he was, and he, and she was telling him, you know, Pinky loves you and everything. And he's like, I know she does, I know he does, or whatever. And he's like, but I don't love him that way. I love him as a friend.
0: <laughs> oh, good then,
1: lord! So basically, the storyline is now P- Fabio Apache is giving them relationship advice, and you know how ironic that is, right? That, yeah. Because Fabio Apache basically has the worst relationship. In professional wrestling, right now.
0: Oh my lord! This rules. I have not seen it yet, but this rules. Have, no, you to... have to. You have to watch that. It's just one of the strangest things.
1: But okay, to... now
0: for those people who don't know, who don't know me well out there, Pimpinela Escarlata is my all-time favorite exótico. I know most people put uh, put Casandro in the top right. queen role. At the moment. At the moment. Yeah, not all. Pimpinela time. is my eternal favorite, though. Yeah. Ever since I saw Pimpinela for the first time in an eight-man tag, he was teaming with uh, Mayflowers, Rudy Raina, and La Rosa. It was an old UWA tape, and again, this is something I got courtesy of Steve Sims back in 1991, I believe the year was, and it was one of their rare appearances back then as Technicos, and. Let me see if I can remember the four guys they were wrestling. One was Shu El Guerrero. One was... Okay, I'm getting lost already here. I think one was Black Terry. It probably had to be that mix, the, the, the Los Temerarios,
1: wasn't it? Something like that. Yes. Yeah. But...
0: And I, it, when I watched that match, I thought, why in the hell did they even push Exavikos as Rudos? Because they were so over as babyfaces that night. And it was a great finish. One, Pimpinela ruled. He was I know mayflowers Flowers back then was pushed as the best exotico worker but no way. Pimpinela blew him away. And it was one of those matches that ends with everybody delivering a tope one after the other until there was a pile of seven wrestlers outside of the ring. And the last person inside the ring was Pimpinela. And he didn't just deliver the final tope. He got in the ring, did this very elegant, you know, this elegant statuesque pose, hands up in the air, and the people were just going nuts for him. And he did the most beautiful tope over the ropes, and the Exoticus won on a countout. And the whole crowd was chanting, Bezos, Bezos, afterwards. Yeah. You, you, I mean, I,
1: I'm pretty sure you could sit through the first half hour of Triple um, A and call it a day. <laughs> Once, once you get past, like, the anything past that, it's kind of... I mean, you really have to be a big AAA fan. It. But that, that angle, I thought you would enjoy that. that yes,
0: I am going to enjoy that. I am going to be setting my DVR tonight, making certain that AAA gets taped. Uh, I am going to watch this with bated bait, with breath. You know what I watched this past week? What's that? ECW. I didn't. I know,
1: I, know you're, I know you're anti-ECW because of zombies. Yeah. They, they did this new superstar initiative. I don't know if you heard they did like a 15-man trade or something like between SmackDown and all these other promotions. I
0: heard some rumor so about friends. that. I, I try not to listen too closely to what happens in ECW because I've heard some pretty bitchin' stuff is happening on that show, but yeah, well, there's no well, zombies.
1: They, they did this. They had this thing where they, they're, they're bringing in all this new superstar. It's a new superstar initiative. Yes. Like all the, it's all those, like, Florida, all the indie guys.
0: Hence the jokes I've been hearing about last night on Florida Championship Wrestling.
1: Uh-huh. Yes. So it's, ba- it's basically just Florida Championship Wrestling, but, but it's, it's so weird because they, um, they have, like, they, it, was, it was interesting, but then they had, like, this one segment where um, they had this, like, talk show. And, I mean, I swear, you, you could just hear crickets through the whole thing. Painful. Painful, dude. You can't even get past that point. It's like, how do you get past that point and continue watching? But I, the reason I, I thought it was interesting because those um, cars, Junior and um, Psychedelico Junior. Remember, they're in, um, and they're in Florida right now, or I guess this, Dos Cars Junior is going to go into whatever WWE, and I'm thinking he's going to end up showing up like in the next two or three weeks on that show. Interesting. So Cause, they're no, because they debut like four people within the first show. I mean, how much, how many people do they have in FCW? The fascinating.
0: Series. So, so mean, they're, they're throwing Dos Kars Jr. into the I, farm league, more or less, then. Well, I don't know if he's going to be there, but I'm thinking he's going to... I mean, because they, they had... Um,
1: oh, what I, what I meant, what I was going to tell you, they had different ethnicities in this whole show. Like, there was a guy representing... Like, if you're were if you Irish, there's an Irish guy wrestling on that show. If you're Japanese... Cornswoggle. No, Seamus. She, oh, lordy. There's this really big um, uh, red-haired, like... Like, just imagine Carrot Top, but, like, not as bad-looking as Carrot Top. You know what Carrot Top
0: is, right? That sounds, yeah, and that sounds really cool. Yes, Carrot Top. I do know Carrot Top, and this sounds, I, I, I actually want to watch it. Can't they, just, can't they just throw one flesh-eating monster in there so I can start watching it again? Well, see, I need I a reason. That's what I'm thinking.
1: They're going to they have to have a Mexican, so, I mean, at some point, Dos Caras Jr. is going to be the, the Lucha libre guy. I mean, you can't have a Mexican and not have it be a luchador.
0: And I'll be unable like, to watch it. Yeah,
1: well, then you'll see. You'll watch Junior. and Russell, and and you'll be like, okay, maybe I won't watch it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe that's I'll wait true. till the zombies show up. But you know,
0: you have a guy who looks like Keratop. I I want to turn this on, but you know,
1: yeah, he, he even spoke like um, Gaelic. Oh, that's beautiful! Wow. Latin. And then they had at, at the very beginning they had a Japanese guy. Um, I don't know if you remember this guy named um, Yamamoto. Who no, I don't. He he's, he's wrestling. They debuted him as Yoshi Tetsu. So he wrestled um, Shelton Benjamin, and all they did. Shelton Benjamin is a racist, basically. That was the whole story. He was the, mm, the whole okay. angle was him, kind of like you know, doing the doing the whole like making fun of Japanese and everything. Yeah, but, yes. but they, they ended up having him win. With, wait, wait, Yamamoto or Benjamin? They had the the Yoshitetsu winning the match. The Japanese. Okay, match. got ya. Yeah. So it was like an upset, but they did the whole like racial. I mean, it's very. It's like ECW is no longer hardcore. It's now racial. <laughs> <laughs> it's now we're ECW. We're a racist. <laughs> <laughs> we're no, seriously. It's like so blatant. Like they, they even, ha, they even got Kozlov. Is that the guy, the Vladimir Kozlov, right? Yes. The Russian guy. He was wearing red.
0: Wow, boy. I, I guess it's the promotion that travels back into time. If they could push enough of a retro look, that might work. That might actually work, and all they need is zombies and, like, make it a black and white scene when they do bring in the zombie? Yes, yes, as they're just kind of uh, chewing and shaking the entrails everywhere this way, and, um, of course, now that we're on the uh, subject of zombies... No wait, I wanted to wait. Let me just finish telling you about okay. zombies.
1: Okay, my idea for oh
0: oh yes yes
1: if you have, if you have you pitch an idea, idea for zombies for, I'm all ears. Here is my idea for a zombie that they should have done done in honor of Michael Jackson. They should have done the Thriller thing.
0: Have That's put,
1: true. That would have been so apropos. At this point, they had a, they had they would have had enough zombies to do the the whole Thriller dance, you know, the whole dance hall.
0: That would be, would have been great. A whole yeah. army of zombies dressed. In the red Michael Jackson jackets from the 80s. There you go. That would have been the ultimate send-off for Michael. You know, the, the, show, the show, though, it's like the announcing is really boring. I, I
1: have no idea. I don't, I, I, I don't watch the show as often as I probably could or would. But, I mean, they, they're, like, I remember Mike, Matt Stryker wasn't as boring as he was on this show. I mean,
0: they, I, think it, I think they really are trying to go, like, retro. Like really? Yeah, back in the days, I remember. uh, I never realized how good I had it when I started watching wrestling on KCOP Channel 13 in 1972, because we had an announcer named Dick Lane, Uh who was a great, charismatic play-by-play man who sounded like just firecrackers going off right and left. He sounded so just happy to be alive, and you could have the deadest wrestler in the ring. And he would make you think you were watching, you know, the second coming. On top of that, the ring announcer was Jimmy Lennon. And apologies to all Howard Finkel fans out there, but Jimmy Lennon was the, was the archetype of ring announcers. Yeah. If you watch uh, mixed martial arts shows that oppose UFC, you'll see his son, Jimmy Lennon Jr., who is almost as good as his papa. But he was in boxing for years, too. He's, he, yes. He actually is, isn't he? Yeah, Jimmy Lennon was a uh, ring announcer the for just, just about any fight and sport there was. Yeah.
1: Um, the announcing was much better back then.
0: <laughs> yeah, at least, well, if you got the right announcer, but there was, when you talk about Matt Stryker doing the retro thing, yeah. there were also a lot of horrendous announcers, and I bet you don't have to look too far on YouTube to find some uh, some ancient... TV wrestling. Oh, I, I, I can't remember the announcer's name, but there was an announcer in Tennessee. Obviously not Lance Russell, but he was the deadest announcer you've ever heard. And every other every other move was called a, a "work your head off"
1: move. No, but I mean, it, it, they were. They're not. Not only were they like really like like slow and deliberate, they were really quiet. Like they'd be like, like
0: there's um
1: there's Yoshi
0: Tetsu. As if somebody handed them a microphone and
1: they're yeah, like, like, okay, what do I do with this? I think they were just trying to do like a golf type of thing, you know, like, like. There <laughs> <it is." laughs> Could the audience be very quiet for this think, next move?
0: And he and might, you like, he might think it.
1: <laughs> and then you listen to like all these other shows and it's like they're all loud and, you know, like even like Lucha. You, you, you watch Lucha and it's like all these guys are really loud, except for the independent shows. The independent shows, I mean, the announcing is horrible on half the shows. But, I mean, like, CMLL, AAA, they're all really loud. But then, like, this show, it's, like, really quiet. Let's (laughs) let's slow it down. Okay, so getting back to your zombie movie.
0: Oh, my Lord. I had a DVD sitting in my rack for, I think, about, I want to say at least two years now. Wow. I finally opened it up and watched it and found I had this great masterpiece right under my nose. Um... Now, when you think of zombies, do you think mostly the flesh-eating genre of zombies? Uh-huh. Those are, well, those are the first I think about. Yeah, and those are the most popular. Yeah. Popular. But before George Romero created the first flesh-eating zombie in the late 1960s, there were a whole slew of zombie films where they're not so much mindless flesh-eaters or, you know, people who wanted to pop open somebody's head and eat their brains, there were a slew of zombie movies where a voodoo curse was put upon a person or a whole city of people, where they would be in a zombie trance. Basically basically the same concept, the dead are brought back to life, but they're focused. They are commanded to kill or kidnap and generally, you know, they're, they obey their master's command. They're like hypnotized zombies. They're not craving the flesh, but, you know, most of them like to strangle or hack people's heads off, if commanded. Well, the DVD I had is called Blood of the Zombie. And the date was 1963, so I knew going into this, this is not going to be... You know, a great blood feast. <laughs> this will be the zombie under somebody else's command. So I was ready for that. And the film itself, Blood of the Zombie, how do I put this? It's not that that film embraced me necessarily. Boy, I'm stumbling over my words tonight. <laughs> You're like, I don't believe... I'm turning into a zombie myself. It was this bad that it turned you into a zombie. <laughs> Pretty much. Actually, the, the director of the film was a guy named Barry Mahone, who, who was fascinating in his own right. He was in the Royal Air Force in Britain during World War II, was a prisoner of war, and it's rumored that the movie The Great Escape, one of the characters was fashioned after his POW adventures. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But I think he served his country a little better than he served the film industry. Nonetheless, this guy was fascinating. And Blood of the Zombie was his take on in New Orleans style. The first 20 minutes of the film is the most fascinating piece. As it's basically a trip through a New Orleans strip club, there's this... Uh, this show business manager who just got married to this cute little brunette gal. So what does he do on their wedding night? Hey, I want to show you New Orleans. So he takes her to strip clubs and jazz clubs. You know, the the thing you do on most honeymoons. Uh I've heard I've never been married, so... (laughs) Yeah, well, on your honeymoon, I I don't advise... I I recommend you don't take your... uh, don't, don't go to don't go. Don't no, go to strip clubs with your oh. wife. I don't think it will start off the marriage on a good foot. I know there's a lot of people in Vegas, a lot of the MMA crowd will probably disagree with me.
1: Um, Thanks for the advice.
0: Well, I don't want to focus too much on the blood of the zombie plot. Uh-huh. Uh, the best part of it is there's only one zombie, and it's uh, the body of a woman who lives on a plantation. And she's scared she's going to lose the plantation to her cousin, who was the showbiz manager. Uh And uh, so she raises her dead brother, who, if this wasn't 1963, I would swear that they were just trying to do a spoof on Keith Richards. This zombie (laughs) looked so much like Keith Richards, it was hysterical. Pretty tepid flick. And there's actually only, you know, one killing that the zombie, uh, you know, commits. And... Like killing in the whole movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, what? you know, the only the only other people who get killed are the woman who controls the zombie and the zombie himself. Oh. But, yeah, but the zombie only really... Does, he's not such a bad zombie. He, he kills one person, and this he ends up the killing thing. the wrong person, too. He's commanded to kill the wife of the show business manager, but, nah, <laughs> he goofed. Oh. And, ironically, he kills the coolest character of the film. I don't know what Barry Mahone was thinking. But the treat, the real treat in this DVD release was when I looked at the menu, there was a little uh, thumbnail that said Voodoo Swamp. Now, I looked on the cover of the DVD and I looked everywhere. I looked at the description on the back for a description of this Voodoo Swamp I find nothing. There, you know, it was just like a little incidental on the, you know, disc menu, like it was put there by accident or something. So I said, let's see what Voodoo Swamp is. And oh my gosh, this is the best kept secret in bad filmmaking. This throws Plan 9 from outer space off its throne as the worst movie of all time. I Voodoo Swamp is a movie that was obviously never quite completed. It also takes place in New Orleans. And it's similar to the plot of Blood of the Zombie. The only problem is half the time you don't understand what the plot is. There's also this evil woman in New Orleans who, who raises people from the dead to do her command. The only thing is, you never understand why she's raising people from the dead. The only good explanation of why she rose somebody from the dead... Oh, and incidentally, there are only two zombies in this movie, too. <laughs> but this is so much cooler than Blood of the Zombie, because you see that this evil woman had some smarts. As one of the zombies is this big, hulking bodybuilder that looks like her own personal rocky Horror,
1: And... And, and this big zombie turned out to become governor of California,
0: right? Uh, yeah, well, that's the funny part. This <laughs> movie looks like it was it probably it? shot around the early 60s. And this guy looks steroided out like before many people were steroided out. Yeah, before Schwarzenegger. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, BS, before Schwarzenegger. That's a good way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> what was beautiful about this movie It was so shoddily put together that when a scene would fade out, it didn't fade out. The scene bleached out to where it looks like the film was on fire and is overlapped by the next scene of the movie. This happens continually throughout the movie. And the greatest part is they must have messed up the audio fiercely over and over again throughout this film because there were times when people's lips would move with the audio and other times where you would hear audio but their faces were turned away or they they were off sync like a kung fu movie <laughs> this was even better than a kung fu movie this you know they actually missed the whole thing the yeah whole the, voice. the voices sounded like cartoon characters from like an old Yogi Bear or Flintstones cartoon the dialogue was the best part and one little area of the plot just swept me up and that is where all the voodoo people meet and fall under the spell of this priestess. Where do most uh, voodoo uh, priests gather the to swamp. do uh, the, the bewitching of the occult? It's and that swamp. is, of course, an apartment where beatniks hang out. It's not the swamp? It's not the swamp. It's an oh. apartment where beatniks beat on bongos. And one of the women dances exotically. To the, the greatest part is when you hear a description... Of uh, of the beatnik scene, there's a detective who is trying to find the sister of a missing New Orleans woman, and he's going from bar to bar and runs into his old friend Randy, and he asks his friend Randy what he knows, what he knows about this girl Vicky, and this is a pretty hard job looking detective in the Raymond Chandler uh, vein. He. He asks his friend, what do you know? And his friend's dialogue is great. He says, I went to this apartment, man. This bunch of beat characters. Way out, like, you know, man, <laughs> Outsville. You know, I went, to the, I went to their pad two, no, three times. And then I shook the joint. Some of these characters are like weirdo. Voodoo, and man, that ain't the half of it. And he says, one thing I don't dig is weird stuff. And this gal Vicky was strictly from Straitsville, so I'm out, outsville. And then after he delivers this brilliant dialogue, the hard job detective says, "Well, your word, your word's good enough for me." <laughs> and. You know, this movie is both good acid and bad acid, and I wish I really prepared better to give you a description of this film. I know I'm stumbling over this, but I urge everybody to go to Amazon.com, pick up a DVD copy of Blood, Blood of the Zombie. It was released under an alternate title uh, through something weird video called The Dead One, and this is a rarity. Do not go to Something Weird Videos release of this movie, because they do not include Voodoo Swamp in it. You can only get that if you get Blood of the Zombie. And like I said, nowhere on the artwork on the DVD can you find reference to Voodoo Swamp. So you got a bonus, basically. Yes, it is a bonus. It is a gem that I didn't know I had. This movie is the best-kept secret. When I got done watching this, I immediately surfed the Internet trying to find information on it, it does not even have a listing of, on Internet Movie Database, wow. which is a shocker because they every have... movie, no matter how lost it is, <sighs> is on Internet Movie Database. Do you know what movie is on Internet Movie Database? An what old that? porn flick called Bat Pussy. <laughs> no, they actually do update. They, they, they have porn on there also. Yeah, they do. They do, yeah, and they, the they movie do. Bat Pussy... Bat Pussy, which you can get excerpts of on YouTube, about a woman dressed as Batwoman going or, you know, traveling everywhere on one of those little uh, what are those little balls called when we were kids, those hoppity hops. Oh yeah, the oh yeah, I remember those. I had one. I don't remember what it was. Yeah, so did I. That that was probably the cheesiest movie of all time made. And that has a presence on the internet, internet movie database and so Hue how- Swamp does not. I found a little information on it, but it's all sketchy. None of the actors or actresses are identified in it, probably with good reason, but one source says it is another work by Barry Mahone. It looks like it's the same era. It looks like it could be his work, but I would love to know more. And if any of you uh, out there who are patient enough to listen to me ramble on about this great movie, email me. Liger, L-Y-G-E-R, at AOL.com, and enlighten me if you know anything about this movie. I know the chances are slim. You're
1: gonna You're gonna start getting um, zombie fans posted close post to your website.
0: <laughs> I certainly hope yeah. so. You're gonna um, write about zombies so they could start visiting your website. Yeah, um, in fact, I really have really to do fun. a written a written uh, coverage of this film because. I'm butchering it verbally. I need to write about this. This film must be known. This film is a combination of good acid and bad acid. I mean, the the scenes of New Orleans and the, the you know, overly blighted colors are just magnificent to watch, and, and the horrible dialogue is a gem. There's a few disturbing scenes where they're in the middle of these swamps in New Orleans, and... They see a wild pig who is about the size of a poodle, and they shoot the pig, you know, because this wild pig's endangering them. (laughs) And it's disturbing because you can tell this is, like, real footage of this poor pig being shot in cold blood. They also shoot a couple of snakes in cold blood. That's the other gem about this movie. Every time somebody falls asleep, they wake up to find a cottonmouth or a rattlesnake right in their face. Now, I, I don't know much about nature. I try to stay away from nature unless it involves the beach and body surfing. No, no no, wild animals around that. No wild animals, but even, even I'm not dim enough to think that snakes are going to go looking for you, <laughs> hunting for you, unless they're like a python or a boa constrictor. That's a whole nother story. You know what I was going to ask you? Cause I,
1: did you ever see the Hollywood Blondes, the Jerry Brown? Um, yes, I did.
0: You saw them live, right? I never got to see them live, but I did watch them every week on TV. And they were, along with their manager Sir Oliver Humperdinck, they were one of the greatest heel teams I have ever seen. Buddy yeah. Roberts was such an underrated worker. I got, I got the, I got the the, the box set for um, that old Japanese
1: promotion IWE. Yes. I know, and and they're on there. And I was like, oh my god, that's, that's really. A yeah. I would love to see that you if have, you could... You have them doing all the whole thing, but I was. Uh, because I've seen Jerry Brown before, but I mean, every time I see him, I always think Chico and the man.
0: I him, I'm always think of the man.
1: You know, Chico and the man, the man. Every the funniest thing
0: when I think of Jerry Brown is along with the lines of what you're saying. Is, I know somebody who was friends with him years ago, uh-huh. and that person, when he drank too much, would bring up Jerry Brown and say, that man, God was so mean to him. He's the nicest man in the world, and God made him so ugly. Why? <laughs> And he was dead serious, too. This wasn't said as a joke. <laughs> but, you know, the other thing I noticed was Buddy
1: Roberts was really good, you know. I mean, Buddy Roberts was such a great worker. I, in he
0: fact, had, I remember... He had everything, the look and everything with it. He did. He had it down. He, he was like the perfect, he was like the quintessential tag team wrestler yeah. of the 70s. You I could mean, have teamed I, him up with anybody. Because I remember reading about the Hollywood Blondes when I was a
1: kid, and I would be like, I, I wonder what these guys look like, and... And I, I think I saw a picture of them, and I was like, Jerry... You know, first of all, I, thought, I was shocked at seeing Jerry, Jerry Brown looking kind
0: of not so Hollywood blonde <laughs> Well, that I, was the funny thing, is when the Hollywood blondes came in, you know, Buddy Roberts was perfect for the for the part, but here oh. was Jerry Brown, who had bleached blonde hair, but these big shaggy eyebrows and this big honking nose like the late Carl Malden, may he rest in peace... I know. Oh, there's another one. That's, that's there's another one who just passed, Carl Malden, 97 years old. 97. You died too a, young. <laughs> yeah, that's a good run. He died too but, young. But Jerry Brown, um, he did not look the part, but he still pulled oh. it off. And Oliver Humperdink was was a great pitchman for them. He would just he would piss people off uh, every week. He'd be on there, and with Judo Gene Labelle was the locker room interview. Uh-huh. host and every week Oliver Humperdinck would remind Gene Liddell that we just don't like you, Gene. We don't like you. Like we're gonna be at a party next week, but you're not coming because we do not like you. You never give a reason for it, but just drive it home and Gene Liddell would just have this very stern look like he wanted to wanted to you know say something witty back but he couldn't because he was an honor honorable announcer. Yeah, there you go. Did, did they ever feud with they feuded with Black Gordman and Gren Goliath, didn't they? Yes, they did. They The Hollywood yeah. Blondes came into Los Angeles in 1974. Um, and if I recall, they started feuding with Victor Rivera and Dino Bravo, who were a tag team at the time.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And they began, if I remember correctly, they began feuding with Gordman and Goliath in the summer of 1975, and the angle was Louis Tillay, who booked the territory and also pushed himself through the roof as a wrestler.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: surprise, surprise! If any 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 wrestler that can still walk, or at least
1: you know pretty much, you know, I don't know, like not die in the ring. <laughs> if he's the booker, he'll push. Yeah, himself. he'll he'll last he'll stay in the ring as long as he can
0: yeah Louis Tillet yeah Louis Tillet should not have pushed himself but there were some pretty cool uh, angles and one of the angles was he had had enough of the Hollywood blondes and so he brought in Gordman Goliath who were uh, you know known as heels in LA Uh they were heels just the year before feuding with Victor Rivera and Raul Mata but he brought them in uh, as baby faces, but as like the most badass baby faces you'll ever see, and he'd have them just trash the Hollywood blondes and I wish I could have seen those live they them? they worked it very well because they would shoot angles on t v but they would not they would not have the blondes wrestle Gordon and Goliath on t v they still saved it for the Friday night shows. So you never got to see the action? No, never got to see those. Ah, The opposite was true once Roddy Piper came in in 1976 and began feuding with Chavo Guerrero. This is how horribly mismanaged the L.A. territory was at that point. It started off with Piper and Guerrero having a wonderful feud. I mean, great heat. Uh, They did a great angle where... uh, Chavo and Piper were wrestling under scientific rules, which meant you couldn't hit anybody or, you know, choke on the ropes. You know what?
1: Yeah.
0: In other words, you had to have a really dead match. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
0: Well, the angle was that Piper uh, took a powder from the ring and smacked Glory Guerrero at ringside, which caused Chavo to become enraged and uh, start wailing on Piper, thus getting disqualified and losing his coveted Jules Strongbow scientific trophy. <laughs> and actually it got over really well until Chavo grabbed the mic and screamed up into heaven, Mr. Strongbow, I am so sorry for what I just did, how I shamed you. <laughs> Despite that it was a good feud. The problem the is people
1: start laughing,
0: right?
1: Of course oh yeah. 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 yeah he's, 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 and
0: definitely. they laugh even more later when they uh, brought in Lars Anderson as the bionic wrestler. Oh great. But w- the problem was, is Chavo Guerrero and Roddy Piper started wrestling each other not just on the big Friday night shows, but on all the televised shows, too. And I joke not when I said, this Friday night, you fans can see it only here at the Olympic Auditorium, Chavo Goro versus Roddy Piper. And then what was the main event on TV that very night when they're pushing Chavo Goro versus Roddy Piper?
1: Chavo Goro versus
0: Roddy Piper. It well, was see, that's, really, that's, really bad. Well, then, I, that's,
1: what, that's what I noticed with like the pay-per-views now in, in WWE and even TNA and all those other companies. Like their pay-per-views don't really end anything.
0: Yeah, you know? and it feels like you're watching an episode of Raw. And you're paying fifty bucks for that,
1: and then you have to watch the next show, and that's when the show, the angle, and it, sometimes it won't even end. Like the Cena Big Show thing just kept going and going and going, you know? So that's the thing. that's what I think like even with like AAA and all that stuff they do the, they have a habit of doing that too like,
0: it reminds me of the last few seasons of the, seasons of the Sopranos where it seemed like they were winging it every episode like what are we going to do this week kill somebody well yeah. let's have Tony Soprano go into a dream world and get beaten up by Buddhist monks I don't know I, I, I think
1: the only stuff I actually remember from Sopranos was the, the part where, um, where Buscemi was in for that brief like what was it like for season
0: yeah, that was probably the the last... Well, speaking of angles, that was probably the last good angle they did, but it seemed like they were winging it those last few yeah. episodes. And everybody... You know, the emperor had no clothes. We were all pretending to still like it. So, so, so how were... How,
1: do, you, do you remember what they were like in the ring, um, the Hollywood, Hollywood blondes, or were they really that good? Or?
0: As I recall, I was 13 years old at the time, yeah. and so... You
1: weren't into work rate back then.
0: <laughs> I didn't understand work yeah. rate. I understood. What I understood is uh, these guys were great heat builders every week. I mean, I would get pissed off. I mean, that was, in fact, that was the era where I was starting to really like the heels. Yeah. But the Hollywood Blondes, I was still getting pissed off at. That's how good a heels they were.
1: Yeah. The, 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 the cool thing is, like, they're in Japan and they're still doing all the stuff they would normally do like that in the U.S. Because I've seen, I've seen, like, stuff where they're I guess they're, like, splitting up towards the end of the Blondes' run. Oh! I've seen stuff like that, but, like, this, the stuff in Japan, they're, 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 they're still doing all the stuff, like, where they'll take off their glasses, they'll hug, you know, their son. Yeah,
0: glasses. they did all that. They would do that every match. Yeah,
1: they're doing that there, and then, like, you'll hear Buddy Roberts yelling at the fans, like,
0: shut up, I'm trying to do something, and all
1: this stuff. <laughs> and they do this one spot where um, the, the beginning of the match is Jerry Brown and one of the, I, I can't remember who the other guy is. Let me check. The other guy was the Japanese guy was uh, I can't remember. Well when the Thunder Japanese Sugawara. Guy? Well it was either ha uh, it was either tyranny. there's like there's only like six Japanese guys in IWE for some reason. Because so they were getting like Russia Kimura. Yeah, it was Kobayashi. <laughs> yeah, Shoshio Ko- Ko- Kobayashi or Great Kusatsu.
0: Yeah, Ko Shoujo Kobayashi I remembered his the biggest dull man in the business he, he was so bland and just lacked any kind of charisma he was like the anti charisma
1: well he's the one that's in with um, with um, buddy when buddy Roberts comes in and Buddy Roberts is getting ready to lock up with him and right when they' when, when they're trying to do it Buddy Roberts gets cl- as close as possible to his corner and when he gets there um, Jerry Brown's leaning right toward right over the re- over the top rope and he's just looking at getting closer getting a closer look. And as he gets closer, that's when uh, Kobayashi just punches him in the face, and knocks <laughs> him down. So
0: I'm, I'm, I just got kicked out of that angle. That's that, great. Uh, that that's awesome. great. But, uh, one I mean, of the uh, best compliments I ever heard paid to Buddy Roberts was in the I think it was 1984. I I got to work out with a guy by the name of Mickey Doyle, who is probably one of the greatest wrestlers that most people today have never heard of. Yeah. He was a journeyman came out of Detroit and wrestled here in LA and in the Northwest very very smooth talented worker and when he was uh, when he was training me I remember the two wrestlers he kept pointing to were Buddy Roberts and Harley Race and at one point he said if you've been wrestling for a while and you cannot have a decent match with Buddy Roberts or Harley Race quit the business because those guys are the masters of caring people
1: yeah, and if, I mean, if, if they Ray can't
0: carry you, then you have no place in the
1: business. You, you just hear all these stories about Harley Race, but Buddy Roberts doesn't really get mentioned as much.
0: I mean, yeah, he he, well, he's
1: everybody remembers he, him as that drunk free bird, you know. The and he was great life.
0: in that role too. I, I mean, that and was, there's there's no crime, there's no nothing bad about being a supporting player. It's like all the great character actors of the fifties and sixties that I see on TV, you know. They were never good enough to carry a, a show by themselves, but they were still great. And you know, the, the the cool thing about Buddy Roberts was, like, when you're a kid and you're watching the Freebirds,
1: you always thought, "Man, I really hate that guy. I, I just want them to kick his butt." And you always assumed he was the one that was going to get beat up. And every week he'd he'd be like, "I remember the the mid south, they did that angle where the Fantastics just beat the crap out of him, and he he promised they that his big brother was going to come over and kick their ass." <laughs> like two weeks later, Terry Gordy would come back from Japan and just show up all of a sudden and just just pile drive them right after a match or during a match. <laughs> and you know that you was sweet. Best. That that was that that's what always made the Freebirds just that ideal trio.
0: Which they were they were the ideal trio and right. especially emphasized with the uh, Von Erich feud. Yeah, that was a golden age of. That was when I began getting tapes from you know other areas. You know years before DVR and that sort of thing, I would wait with bated breath when I got my first VCR because I would get uh, masks, uh, matches of tiger masks from Japan and free birds from world-class. Those were wow. the two things I looked forward to. Uh, the world-class TV in 1983-84 was great. Yeah, I mean, I remember when, when I first moved here
1: and everybody would, because this is so Kellen, I, I remember everybody would be talking about WWF like, if you talk about old wrestling, it was always WWF. And then you would talk about, like, all this other stuff, and people were like, really? We never, we really didn't get to watch all that stuff.
0: And I even knew people who uh, would claim to be in the know who would refuse okay. to watch a Georgia wrestling or Mid-South. They said just because it's not WWF, it's second class. because and- yeah, I, re- I mean, I remember just,
1: like, when I would come over and visit during the summer, I would be, I would be talking about, I, w- I watched, in, 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 in El Paso, I would watch Lucha. I watched World Class, Florida Championship Wrestling. Like the, It was on for about a, a summer. Um, the NWA would be on, Mid-South. And over here, you'd, all you'd get was WWF and I think California, one of those California wrestling shows.
0: Yes, and it seemed like you half do. of these shows uh, all aired on Channel 56 here in Anaheim. <laughs> yeah, unless you got unless you could have cable,
1: which you could get NWA over here, I think.
0: At oh, yeah, yeah. 80. I. Uh... I re- I would not have an antenna TV after 1983. I had to have my cable. I, you know. I, think I you mean, could get
1: Lucha here too, but I, I mean, I never. I mean, I yeah, I, I didn't get Lucha lie. until
0: 1989, which was not a bad year to get Lucha on oh. a Galavision because that was a great year. Well, what was the first Lucha match you wa- you remember watching? The very first Lucha match.
1: This will probably bore
0: the hell out of people, but so I'll try to put it in a nutshell. But when I started watching wrestling on Channel 13 in 1972, there was also Lucha Libre on Channel 22. Uh, this was several months before they started airing Titanes and El Ring from Argentina. And, you know, I was a typical 10 year old. I didn't want to bother to watch something in Spanish because I couldn't understand it. But one night, uh, Channel 13 Wrestling was preempted for a college football game. So I said, well, I'll check out this stuff on Channel 22. And it blew my mind. It was a black-and-white TV show. I have no idea where it was from. It was definitely not Arena Coliseo. It was not Arena Mexico. This was like a small place that seated maybe 2,000, 3,000 people. And the opening match was a singles with... uh, some character you know, dressed up similar to Mil Mascaris in the Aztec garb, uh-huh. and some bleach-blonde pretty boy. And it was a shocker for me, because on Channel 13, all of the matches back then were one fall, four rounds. They would have, I can't remember if it was three-minute rounds or five-minute rounds. So when I started watching wrestling, I thought all wrestling was done on the round system, uh-huh. like in boxing. So this match was going like 20 minutes straight. And I'm like, "Whoa, this is a long match. And uh, all I can remember is that the the blonde heel went over, got really good heat, and then it was followed by a tag team match. And the heels in the tag team match were masked duo that looked like the kind of clowns you would see in your worst nightmare. They had these very sad, tragic-looking faces for masks. And their opponents were these two masked men who had bat ears, similar to Batman. But they had these spots on their masks that made it look like they broke out in hives or had the measles or something. (laughs) Leopard Leopard. Yes, and that was the first time I saw actual lucha-style wrestling. And again, I was 10 years old, so I sat there saying, whoa, this wrestling is different. The way these guys dive and soar over each other, it blew my mind. Um, and I was a little I was a little put off by it, I think, because of the nightmarish masks you weren't put off of, by the style. no, I like the style in fact, the first thing I thought of was all of these all of the, these guys on the show wrestle a lot like Raul Mata Raul Mata was a mid card babyface in Los Angeles who uh was the first person I ever saw do the Rana or or if 90s fans prefer, I'll call it the Frankensteiner. But he did a beautiful rana, and he was a very dynamic Mexican-style babyface who actually worked really well with uh, the American wrestlers. But, you know, I thought, wow, I feel like I'm watching a show with a whole bunch of Raul Matas on it. So that was my introduction to Lucha. Wow. When was this, like, mid-'70s? 1972. Did you ever figure out who, what, what, where this was from, or you did? I wish. I was would, it, it was Mexico, though, or it could have been? I assume Mexico. it was Mexico. Yeah. At 10 years old, I wouldn't know Mexico from Colombia, from Venezuela. It could have been anywhere. It, probably was, I, it was probably L.A.
1: <laughs> that would be funny if
0: it was. It was probably <laughs> that Thompson. would be funny. That was around the time when L.A. started really building an independent lucha scene, <laughs> when... Uh, they it's would run at time. the Arena Center on Whittier Boulevard in East LA. Was it in and black and white? What's that? <laughs> was it in black and white? The show? Yes, it was. Oh, it was. Wait, 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 wait! No, I gotta tell you. I assume it was because yeah. I. had <laughs> – Oh, you're gonna think you're I'm like, such hey, a retard. It was. White. It was a black and white TV I had. So. <laughs> well, well, to be fair, back back in the in the
1: early '80s, I mean, if you even had a color TV, remember, if you didn't hook, if you didn't have the antennas pro- on
0: properly. It would go to black and white. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I remember when we did get a t- color TV back then. Titanes in El Ring* was always in black and white, even though it was the biggest TV, one of the biggest TV shows in Argentina.
1: Because I remember watching *Lucha* like still in like '85, and it would still be like in black and white because it was the UHS channel, you know? Because you'd always have to start messing around with yes. The- in fact, have- I
0: have memories of being at my grandparents' house and being very angry, because on Saturday nights, I wanted to watch my Channel 13 wrestling, and at that time, the biggest sitcom in the nation was All in the Family. Oh. So at 8 o'clock, in the the good color TV at my grandparents' house, the whole family would watch All in the Family on color TV, and I had to go out into the spare bedroom, <laughs> and on the little black-and-white TV, try to get in Channel 13, and it was snowy, and the picture would get all, you know, the the horizontal hold would go off. I would be so angry. That was still going on all
1: the way up to like 89, 90. I mean...
0: Oh, it was the cause of my, my greatest heel promos. I could never replicate them in the ring. But when I was in that bedroom trying to tune in the picture for championship wrestling I would be cursing up a storm like god damn it they have to watch their stupid all in the family I just want to watch them wrestling god damn it I think Bondo Lopez really will beat Gordon Nelson this time but I can't see it
1: oh Gordon Nelson's on that on that DVD too He's on one of those um in that box set. Fredo, this is cool. Yeah. Okay, this is the IWE uh, Japan promotion, yeah. right? Yeah, the IWE Japan. They have a bunch of AWA guys. They have um Billy Robinson, they have Andre when he was younger. Don oh, was this kind of is this thing. is something you should be plugging right yeah. here. Well yeah, I'm probably gonna have a sale tomorrow too, so,
0: so people live, slam bam, jam dot with... com. Fredo Japan. has some classic IWE Japan. Sale, fourth Fifth of July sale coming up tomorrow probably. Yeah, celebrate uh, our country's uh, independence by buying Japanese wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Speaking oh. of which, it's July 4th. They'll be racist. So the, first, the, so, the first quiz to all of you out there I'll give you the answer in about 20 seconds, but who wrote our national anthem? No, it was not Francis Scott Key. It was Chuck Berry, Chuck living Barry. in the USA. That is our country's national anthem. That Star Spangled Banner does not cut it. So that's the next thing you have to buy on Amazon.com.
1: What was that, the Rocky one, wasn't it? The, What's that? Was that on Rocky, the, the Star Spangled What was that? Remember he did Oh, life. you're
0: thinking of James Brown living in America.: Yeah, yeah James Brown. <laughs> Yeah That's Chuck Berry, this one. is way this is no, no uh, disrespect to uh, Jane, James Brown musical genius, but oh, Chuck Berry just smoked it all oh. Yes. I'm so glad I'm living in the USA. Why don't you sing it? we've got one minute left. Why don't you sing that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I disgraced myself on Brian Alvarez's show by theming, uh, singing the theme to Martin Car the Giam. Uh, but of course replacing it with Super Chico who is the king of Tulela Championship wrestling
1: yeah there you go
0: and here it is the final minute m- m- of the show you, you know i must get that. warmed up better next week because i started out really sluggish and slow and i'm just starting to get on fire right now know, we got we kind of started getting really good at towards the end we got to, you know what we should
1: do is probably we should start the show and not actually start
0: talking till about the 30 minute mark <laughs> I like that idea. So it. people, you could see opening, you could hear opening matches with our rest holes before the show actually starts, yeah, and I mean, then we'll start the show, and yeah, we'll be all warmed up. That would be we're, great. We're, we're
1: actually geared, we're built for a 90-minute show, actually. If you think That's very it. cool. But we probably wouldn't. We probably shouldn't. Do that.
0: We'll blow up. We'll get blown we'll blow up. up.
1: So we're, we're like Conan. <laughs> For, for the Conan <laughs> right. for podcasting we'll get up at,
0: yeah we'll get in there and we'll blow up get Conan on the show that would be wonderful you and Conan I would love to talk it up with Conan I'm sure he could set me straight about several things
1: yeah we could ask him why do you hate Blue Panther <laughs> <laughs> <Why> <laughs>
0: wait do you does you Conan hate Blue, Blue Panther, Panther? Well, does I Conan hate ass- Blue Panther I, I, I never, never knew, knew that.
1: that everybody assumes that's why he's not in like the Hall of Fame of, you know Meltzer's Hall of Fame or whatever
0: Oh, I I I never gave that a thought really. Well, I mean, uh, how can you funny. how can you hate Blue Panther? That's what I wanna ask.
1: I think it's more of just like uh, you know, personal thing, not a legit.
0: Not a professional thing. It's more yeah, of a personal hatred. Thing. Yeah. Well maybe we'll get a chance I mean, to ask Conan one of these days. Maybe we could ask Steve Sims. Yes. We Steve Sims, Sim. if you're out there listening to us, will you be on our show next week, please? <laughs>
1: We're we'll, begging we'll you. His phone call We're begging you.
0: you. You could help carry this show, Steve Sims. You could be the Negro Casas of podcasting. You could carry this show, baby. <laughs> Get in there yeah, and I help did, us did, dance. Quattro Corenta. I Steve can't pronounce could that. Be on every
1: podcast from now on.
0: You yeah. Could do,
1: like Steve Sims podcasting
0: specials. That's right. Well, folks, if you tune in next week. I will, uh, on my part, be better prepared. Fredo was actually well was prepared this was prepared. time I was prepared. around. I was a mess in this one. I, you know, if Johnny Legend is listening, no, I swear I did not touch any cough syrup. I promise you.
1: I can plug my Twitter account. I mean, how 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 good is that? Seriously.
0: Uh, oh, keep that Twitter I, account open. I'm going to have to get on Twitter now. If you're on Twitter, I got to get on Twitter. Yes. <laughs> Let's see. You, I I would like to see how often you update that. Uh, yes. Now,
1: Fredo, plug plug your sites. Oh, okay. My website, for all the latest Lucha news, visit luchaworld.com. And DVDs tomorrow will probably be starting the 4th of July sale over at flambamjam.com. And, Kurt, your website?
0: www.standtheembryo.com. And if you go there right now, not only can you find all my terribly shallow uh, ramblings... You can see a trailer for one of Barry Mahone's movies that came out in 1969 called, what is it? The Land of Oz. Now, Barry Mahone did a lot of uh, wonderful flicks, uh, you know, a lot of nudie flicks, a lot of, uh, you know, horrifying flicks, and then he finished up his career by making. Uh, making some movies like Thumbelina, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. Well, go to standtheembryo.com, and the very first thing you'll see is the trailer for his wonderful Land of Oz, and you'll see where Halloween got his inspiration, and you you know, will run in fear afterwards. Go there, folks. This is Alfredo Wasparsa and me, Vandal Drummond. Saying farewell, and until next week, if you're walking through Southern California and you see a white light streaking across the sky, it is not a shooting star. It is a handful of monsel's powder. See you all next week. See you next week, Kurt.